Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, last week, my son Nathan preached the Father's Day sermon, I believe, and I think he did pretty good, I heard. And I know that because I'm no longer called Pastor Ed, I'm called Nathan's father. I figured that out. So that's good. That's all good. Yeah. As my old coach would have said, he'd done gooder. He got gooder and gooder. All right. Hey, we have some friends of Christ Church and from Urban Impact. They come all the way from Florida and a number of other places to be with us today. And I'm going to ask that my friends, the group, just kind of stand to your feet over there. Please stand. Come on, come on. Stand up. There they are. The, the Wampler group. There they are. Give them a hand. Welcome them here. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Well, there was a prisoner. He went, to, he went to prison, and he was a young man. There he is sitting in prison, and all of a sudden, one of the prisoners yells out, 67! The entire cell group starts cracking up. A little bit later, another prisoner yells out, 62! Everybody starts laughing. This goes on for about 15, 20 minutes. And finally, the, the new guy looks at the, his cellmate and says, what's going on? These guys are yelling out numbers. Everybody's cracking up. He said, well, this is what happened. He said, a lot of us have been in prison here for a long time, and we've told the same jokes over and over again, so we all know them. So we wrote them all down, and we gave a number next to each one of those jokes. So all that anybody has to do is yell out a number. Everybody knows the joke, so they start laughing. So the young guy goes, hey, can I try that? He says, sure, go for it. So he yells out, 27. Nobody laughs. He yells out, 32. Total silence. So he's thinking, nobody can hear me. So he screams out, 56. Stone cold silence. Finally, he's frustrated. The young prisoner looks at the older one and says, what's going on? Why isn't anybody laughing? And the old guy looks at him and says, well, I guess some guys just can't tell a joke. Okay, maybe I can't tell a joke, okay? So that went over not very well. But listen, the title of my sermon is called this. It's called this, The Joyful Prisoner. The Joyful Prisoner. Now, when you hear that, that sounds like an oxymoron because you don't normally associate joyfulness with being in prison. I found a website from the criminal justice system, system which is called corrections.com. This statement was on it. Most prisoners are unhappy. Many of them are unhappy all the time. Many contemplate or attempt suicide. The suicide rate for American prisoners is between 5 and 15 times greater than it is for the general American population, end quote. I want to remind you today that we are reading a letter from a prisoner. He's incarcerated because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And this man, even though he's in horrible situation, he writes the most joyful letter in the entire New Testament. The book we're studying, of course, is Philippians. And in the theme of that book is joy. 
Paul uses the word joy, rejoice, or rejoicing 16 times in this letter. Let me give you some examples. Chapter 1, verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 3, I'm chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So when the Apostle Paul is referring to joy or rejoice, what does he mean? Where does he find this joy in prison? The joy that, that the Apostle Paul is referring to is not a feeling. It's a person. It's not a feeling. It's a person. The Apostle Paul is finding joy out of his relationship that he has with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the unbeliever cannot experience what we're talking about because they do not have an, a relationship with the living Christ. You see, Jesus is alone, alone possesses the joy that the Apostle Paul needed to live above his circumstances rather than underneath them. And those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have now the potential to experience the joy of the Lord in our situations. Because we have all, if we know Christ, have been born again of the Spirit. The moment you were born again of the Spirit, the Spirit of God came and took up residence in you. He lives within you. That means as we are obedient to Christ and we walk in the fullness of God's Spirit, we can experience the very characteristics of Christ. The Bible refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5. Many of us know them. If you know them, say them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's the second fruit? Joy. Joy. We can experience the joy of the Lord because we have a relationship with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if we are obedient and we walk in the spirit, we can experience joy in every day, every situation, no matter what happens. But let me say, say this. The way that Paul was able to do this is because he made a choice. He made a decision. You see, joy is a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a decision. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul is talking constantly about having the attitude of Christ. The attitude of Christ is having his mind, keeping everything captive to him. I remember when I first came to know Christ, I was a coach at a Christian college. I was coaching baseball. And the head coach, we were on this trip, a tour for two weeks. And every time I got up in the morning, I was getting up, in his opinion, on the wrong side of the bed. You ever known those people? They get up on the wrong side of the bed? Well, that was me. Being a young Christian, the coach came up to me and said, Ed, listen, I know you're a young believer, but I'm going to give you something today. I'm going to give you a verse. In this verse, he, he says to me, I'm going to ask you each day to quote this verse. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it. He said, every day, it's a decision you make. 
It's a mindset. You choose what perspective, whose perspective are you going to have on the day? Yours or Jesus? So choose. This day the Lord has made. I'm not kidding you. Every day I saw that man, he would ask me, what's the day? Rejoice in it, Ed. Rejoice in it. It's a mindset. It was great advice to me. I stopped seeing the glass half empty and started to seeing it half full. Amen? It's a mindset. It's a choice that we make. So Paul's making that decision. And because of that, the joy of the Lord was his strength. And to make this point even clearer, we're going to discover in our passage that in spite of Paul's circumstances, his chains, his critics, and the crisis he was in, he was able to live above his circumstances rather than underneath them. Let's look at, first of all, at his circumstance. Paul desired to preach the gospel in Rome. Paul went to Rome as a preacher, but he didn't go to Rome as a preacher. Instead, he went to Rome as a prisoner. In verse 12, it says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me. So what has happened to Paul? The very record of that is found in Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 28. I don't have time to go through that, so let me just recap it. Paul is illegally arrested in Jerusalem. The Jews thought he had desecrated the temple because he brought in Gentiles. The Romans saw him as an Egyptian renegade who was on their most wanted list. Paul became the focal point of a political and religious plotting. He ended up in prison in Caesarea for two years. Understanding that he wasn't going to get a fair trial, he finally appealed to Caesar, and he could do that because he was a Roman citizen. So they moved him from Caesarea. They started sending him off to Rome. How'd they do that? On a ship. Not a cruise ship, but a jail, a prison ship. Moving across the Mediterranean, the ship sinks. The survivors swam to a shore called Malta, and there's Paul for three months waiting. Finally, he's picked up and he's brought to Rome. When he's brought to Rome, he's under house arrest. And he's chained to soldiers, the palace guard, 24 hours a day for two years. This man has no privacy. Doesn't matter what he's going to do. Eat, drink, write, pray. He's got someone chained to him for two years. Now, I want you to know something. As you think about him, you could, in my mind, you could go to the dictionary and you could look up the word victim. And through all of this, you kind of get this idea that Paul's picture should be right there. But let me slowly read to you what he writes in our passage. And let's look for any hint of resentment, bitterness, or negativity because of his circumstances. You ready? Let's read it. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That doesn't sound like a person who thinks he's a victim. It doesn't sound like a guy who's licking his wounds or having a pity party for himself. Why? Because he is rejoicing because the gospel is being advanced. Look, at, look, look back on verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That word advance in the Greek is really unique. It literally means this, to move ahead, but doing so against obstacles, 
against resistance. It was, it was used a lot. It was used to describe what soldiers did when they were in a battle and they were moving forward towards resistance. It was also used as a nautical term when ships would head, go headway while they were against a headwind. But the most it was used, the more it was used was in this case, describing the pioneers as they're cutting away, cutting away the wood and the brushwood as they are discovering a new territory. So what the, what's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, brothers and sisters, listen, my circumstances are not stopping the gospel. Matter of fact, they're clearing the way for the gospel. That's what's happening. They're clearing the way for the gospel, and he uses his chains first. In spite of my chains, he's saying, the gospel's going forward. Look what it says in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He was rejoicing because his chains gave him contact with the lost. Remember, he's, he's, he's chained to a soldier 24 hours a day. So that means every six hours they brought somebody else new in. So four times a day he's chained to a new soldier. That's a captive audience for Paul. Okay, he takes advantage of that. He didn't see that as a problem. He saw that as an opportunity. So he starts talking to them about Christ. Some of those guys came to know Jesus. And Paul realizes that he would never have the opportunity to speak to those elite soldiers if he had been a free man. And he realized that God was in the middle of all of this. Look here. Who are the palace guards? The palace guards were the, bot, were the uh, bodyguards of Caesar and all of his household, all the important people of that day. There was 10,000 soldiers. That would be like Paul would be handcuffed, if you will, to the Secret Service or the CIA today. So Paul understood what was going on. He took advantage of it. But it also says he talked to another group of people. It says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else. Who's everyone else? He's talking about the officials in Caesar's court. <clears throat> to look that up, you've got to go back to, to Acts chapter 28. But let me summarize. Remember, Paul is an official prisoner of Rome. And it's an important trial that he's going to go up against. The Roman government wants to determine whether this is an official sect this new Christian sect, is it just part of the Jewish group or are they enemies of the state? Are they enemies of Rome? Paul understands he's going to be debating this and he's very pleased that he gets to represent Jesus and the faith, the gospel. And he knows that the court officials are going to have to grapple with the doctrines of the faith and he gets to be the one who defends the faith. And he's rejoicing in it. Now the question is, that any of them come to know Christ? Soldiers, anybody? Yes. In Philippians chapter 4, at the end of the book, verse 22, this is what he writes. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How did that happen? Because the apostle Paul, in spite of his chains, advanced the gospel. So Paul's rejoicing. Because he had contact with the lost, but he also is rejoicing because he's encouraging the believer. 
Look what he says in verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the good, the gospel without fear. The word preach there is not, or proclaim does not mean preach. It means having everyday conversation. So Paul is rejoicing that the Christian in Rome who is fearful is now has become emboldened in talking about their faith in the marketplace, with their friends, with their family, with their neighbors. He's excited. He's rejoicing because they have been given courage because of his determination in, in prison. So Paul's rejoicing because of the opportunity of the gospel going forward. So he's encouraged the brother in Christ and the sister, and he's also talked to the unsaved. Then it says this, that he rejoices in spite of his critics. Look what it says in verses 15 and 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul is not rejoicing in the selfishness of the critics. He's rejoicing that the gospel's going forward that's being preached. Now, let me say this. Paul took on false prophets. He took on false preachers. When they began to tinker with the message, he took them on throughout the scriptures. But he doesn't take these guys on. Why? Because apparently they're preaching the gospel and they're preaching it correctly. So he's saying, I don't care. The gospel's going forward. I don't care what they say about me. Critics can complain all they want. I'm just rejoicing that the gospel goes forward. Then he goes not only from the chains to his critics, but then he begins to rejoice because of the crisis he's in. Look what it says in verse 18. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he's saying, he's saying, brothers and sisters, listen, the emperor, yes, he has the power, if you will, to put me to death or set me free. But he's saying, listen, take conf I'm confident. I'm confident that I will be delivered. Now, there's no guarantee. But if I die or if I live, my confidence is in Christ. So it doesn't really matter what the emperor does. I win. I'm in a win-win situation. If I live, I advance the gospel. If I die, I get to be home with the Lord Jesus Christ. I go from the land of the dying into the land of the living. And for that, he's saying, I rejoice. Whether I live or whether I die, I rejoice because my confidence is in Christ. My confidence is the gospel will advance despite my circumstances, my chains, my critics, or my crisis. I rejoice because the gospel is being advanced. Let me ask you a question today. What's the most valuable thing in your life? What's the most valuable thing in your life? Because whatever that is, when you come up against opposition, when you come up against resistance and obstacles, 
and overwhelming circumstances, the most important thing in your life will determine whether you live above your circumstances or you live underneath them. Whatever that is you're living for, it will determine that. So what are you living for? Let's, put, let's fill in the blank. For to me to live is what? For me to die is what? What are you living for? What are you willing to die for? You know, some people literally have said to me over the 36 years of ministry, literally have said money. Let's put money in there. For to me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. You don't take anything with you. You can send it ahead, but you're never going to take it with you. How about fame? Some people, they just want, they want to be important. They want to be known. They want to be remembered. Let's put that in there. To live is fame, and to die is to be forgotten. It's just, listen, most of us, if not all of us in this room, a couple generations out, nobody will remember you. But listen to this. If you know Christ, you will be forever remembered. If you know him, you will forever be remembered. But how about power? Let's put power in it. Hey, it's all about power. I live for power. And when I die, I lose it all. Christ, listen, Paul said this. I live for Christ. And to die is gain. His confidence was in Christ. He was all about the gospel, and he didn't, it didn't matter what circumstance he was in. He was able to live above his circumstances because the joy of the Lord was his strength. Now, let me say this to some of you. Some of you really feel like you're chained. You're locked down. You might feel like you're chained to the desk at the office. You might be feeling like you're chained, if you will, to some responsibilities. You might even feel chained, chained to some person. But I want to encourage you today, especially I want to start out with the mothers. Some of you wanted a career. Maybe you even had a career and you were very successful in your career. Some of you went to college. But now, or you have been in the past, you had to give all that up because now you're raising your children. And in those days or right now, you felt really confined. And I want to encourage you today with Susan Wesley's, Wesley's, uh, testimony, her story. Suzanne Wesley had 19 kids. Do you, feel, do you think she felt confined? Well, she had two sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was a preacher and Charles Wesley was a hymn writer. And they changed the world in their day in Europe and here in North America and continued to do that even today. Moms, Parents, the children you have, the grandchildren you have, they are extremely valuable. Your investment in them, my friend, is eternal. You get to make disciples that make disciples through them. Or you might be a business person here today, and you feel like, man, you know, I I'm really successful at what I do. You, you might feel like you're chained to the desk because you're working and there's such demand on you, so many responsibilities, so many people counting on you, and they are counting on you. And you'd like to be about advancing the gospel, but you've got all this on you, and you've got responsibilities. Well, I want to give you a story 
of a man, his name is J.C. Penney, to encourage you today. J.C. Penney made a lot of money through his corporation. And he was a Christian, and he wanted to advance the gospel. You know what he ended up doing? He ended up giving 90% of what he made away and lived on 10%. Now, 10% of a J.C. Penney in those days was a lot of money. But the point was, he did what he could so that he could advance the gospel. Some of you might feel like you're chained to a wheelchair or feel like you're chained to some kind of sickness. Or some of you watching me right now, you feel like you're, you're chained to a sickbed. I want to talk to you about Charlotte Elliott. She was an invalid. She wrote over 150 hymns. An invalid wrote these hymns so that she could make a difference. And one of the most famous of all was always sung at the Billy Graham crusade. We all know it. Just as I am. Just as I am. And I love the song. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Or you might be here today and you might be literally a prisoner who's watching, sitting in prison. And for those of you that felt like you were locked down, you were under house arrest during COVID, you've been in your house for 15 months, 16 months, let me encourage you with this. Martin Luther, if you will, wrote down the Bible or interpreted the Bible, I should say, translated the Bible while he was in jail. Then you have John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a great preacher. He was a fiery preacher, and England threw him in jail. So he walked out into the courtyard where the jail was, where there was a big wall, and he had such a booming voice, he would preach. And people from all over would come on the other side of the wall and listen to him as he preached. So what did they do? They put him down in the belly of the jail in solitary. And what, what did he do there? He wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, which has touched millions of people's lives as well as myself. The Apostle Paul was sitting in prison in Rome and he wrote this book. He also wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. Listen, his confidence was in Christ. He was all about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore he was able to live above his circumstances and make a difference in spite of it all. Every one of us in this room, every one of us, God has given you gifts and abilities and you can use them for his glory. You know what bothers me as I travel about, and I thank God I get the opportunity to speak in different places around the country. And you know what? And when I show up, what I'm hearing, though, is a lot of Christians are listening to, to the opinions of men and women more than they are the Scriptures. Look, we need to get back into the Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong to listen to people, but if you're listening to them more than you are listening to what God has to say in his word, you've got to get back into the word of God. Amen? That is so important. As you look at the world and you see the world coming, I mean, it is falling apart. It is going to hell in a handbasket really quickly. And as you see that happening, what I want to remind all of us today, we do not have forever to do what God has created you to do. You don't have forever. And you got to be about what he's called you to do. So the, what I'm asking you to do today is to evaluate what are you doing with your time, your treasures, your talent? What do you do? Are you using them to advance the gospel? 
I love the fact that Pastor Craig, Pastor John, and you as a church are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. That's why Urban Impact locks arms with you. Because we're about the gospel. We're advancing the gospel. Let me say this. The reason why I'm challenging you to really go back and evaluate, what are you living for? What are you investing in? What are you doing? If it's not about advancing the gospel, you got to get about doing that. And I'm saying that to you because we love you as pastors. And we have a responsibility to speak the truth. And the truth is that all of us in this room are going to stand before God. Every one of you alone with Jesus. Remember it says that he will judge the, the dead, the living and the dead. Every one of us will stand there. And you will give an account for what you did with your time, talent, and treasures. And what we don't want you to be is ashamed. And how do you not be ashamed? You get about advancing what? Say it with me. Advancing what? Oh my. Advancing what? That's what you got to do. You got to make that decision. What the world needs, my friend, is Jesus Christ. Every friend, every family member, every person you know that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ is lost forever until they come to know him. If we're not giving to that, if we're not investing in that, why wouldn't we just go home? We're left behind so that we can take more people with us so when we get there, we have people that are in the kingdom because we lived. Amen? So I end with this. Be confident. Be confident in Christ Jesus. The last book of the Bible in the book of Revelation, it tells us, yeah, some really bad things are going to happen. But listen to this. It also tells us Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And those who are in him win. We win. So as we put our confidence in Christ, listen to what Paul says. Listen to what he says here. Over in, in chapter 1, verse 6. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What's that day? The day he returns. You know, there might be one or two of you in this room, like there were in the last service, that you're not real sure your confidence is in Christ. You're not real sure that heaven is going to be your home. And I want to give you that opportunity right here and now. If you're sitting out there, I want you to know Jesus Christ died on the cross. He walked out of the grave and he lives. And he's right here right now. Just see him walking right up to you right now. He's standing there and he's saying, I've done all of it for you. And what you need to do is you just need to respond saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm not perfect. I know it. And I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. And ask him to be your Savior and Lord. If you'd like to do that today, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on a cross and walked out of the grave for me. I know that I've sinned and I turn from the way in which I'm living and I turn completely to you and I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. And I ask that right now. Fill me with your spirit. For Lord, I ask these things today in Jesus' name. And before we say amen, is there anybody in here 
that prayed that prayer with me, would you please just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer? Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, you are a child of the living God. I want you to come and talk to me or Pastor Craig today. Let us know, and we're going to pray for you. But for all of us, let's keep our confidence in Christ until we see him face to face. We love you. God bless.